Sportsnet 590 fan, Ben. Brent Gunning, good morning to you, citizens of Toronto. Good morning to you, Ben. Good morning to you, Jay Woodcroft, who perhaps has not yet gone to bed. You may have missed it, especially if you're listening to us right now. Maybe you didn't stay up until I hope the you didn't. wee hours of the morning at 10.30 start in San Jose last night. They did it! I mean, it's not their first one of the season. That's the one shame of it all, right? Is that, that the is. Sharks did pick up that victory against I the Flyers? This. I called this more than a week ago. Yeah. Well, now the, the Oilers and the Sharks are tied on 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 wins with uh, with two. I picture Jay Woodcroft this morning <laughs> of the scene in the in 40-year-old version when they're all playing poker. Yeah. And then um, I can only call Michael Scott Steve Carell. Yeah. He's just like, it's like, no, it'll be fine. And then he just, the, he clearly didn't go to bed all night. And it's just that the sun comes up. That Jay Woodcroft thinking about that game last night. Yuck. Yeah. The Oilers lose in regulation to the San Jose Sharks. Now they had a bunch of shots. So like good, good free, like they, they outplayed them by course, some course degree. High. <laughs> 41 to 18 matters not though as they lose 3-2 in San Jose. We'll we'll play some clips later on in the program mm-hmm. from the post game which yep. was you you're not going to believe this like a little bit sour. I was going to use the word tense. It was very very tense and I I guess there's still time to turn this thing around. It's November okay. 10th though. Sure. Like Elliot Friedman would tell you there's only like a couple of weeks really. To yep. turn this around. Once and it, pumpkin pie is served in America, you're dead in the water. <laughs> well, and it's not just that they're, what, 18 points out of first in the Pacific. They are 14 points out of third in the Pacific. Yikes. Um, after just 12 games, this it's unbelievable. It, it, it truly is remarkable what's happened here in, in Edmonton, and it's... Listen, it's it's not as I, I I find it hard to believe that the Oilers are going to finish this season as one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. But that that we played now a pretty significant sample here. We've been playing for a month. Yep. And they're as bad as they've been starting with game one of the season against the Vancouver Canucks. It's, it's it is truly remarkable that they feel a little bit. And I know mm-hmm. they went into the season as mm, cup favorites, certainly amongst the Canadian teams that won around last year and eventually bow out yep. to the Vegas Golden Knights, and they've had their moments in the postseason before. But they've also missed the playoffs before. Like, they, they're becoming mm. the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Like, they're becoming... Okay. Come on. How can you have the the two forwards that they have in Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid and yeah. Connor McDavid literally going to go down as one of the top five players in the history of the sport, sure. just as Mike Trout is going to yep. go down as one of the top five players in the history of the sport. And it's different because they have made the playoffs and they've had some, the modicum. That's of, the difference. Okay. But every like 16 teams make the playoffs, right? Like, what are we talking about here? They've also missed the playoffs in a sport in which half the teams make the playoffs. Come on. They're, they are not the Angels. They've made the playoffs. They've eh, won multiple rounds in a single deal. year. Oh, big deal. Yes, you're right. Everybody's final. Uh, big deal. Well, no, we look at the playoffs so differently from this market because, you know, th- there's been no postseason success, uh, say, for the one series victory over the last 20 years here. Like, everybody makes the playoffs. They're and two like, years removed from losing in the conference big finals. Deal. Make, big make, make big a Stanley deal. Cup final. My God, I'm not going to sit here and defend what's <laughs> happening in Edmonton right now. But how dare you compare a team that was again in a conference final two years ago to the Los Angeles Angels of the Annex behind Anaheim or whatever they call themselves mm-hmm. these days? So again, don't 
I didn't want to come here defending the Oilers' track record. Yeah, I mean, well, they again, got blasted in four straight to the Avalanche. Yes, yeah, okay. okay, they still got what would Shohei Otani and Mike Trout have killed to have got blasted in a CS? Mm-hmm. You bet they would have. But yeah, in terms of in terms of Edmonton, I can't believe I had to look this up. They do have their own pick this year. That's don't nice. have to worry about okay. that. And the reason I had to bring that up is because I don't think that's going to happen of them having to worry about that because I do expect them to fire their coach, whether it's now or not. I just yeah. don't see how how he survives this. And then you get your dead cat bounce like you just do. We've seen it a million times in hockey. We saw it with the Leafs with Sheldon Keefe uh, during the Babcock year. We've seen it with Barube. Obviously, those are like the two most recent examples. Barube, the, the, the best one going on to win the cup that year. I don't think anybody's calling for that, but they're going to get the bounce back. The only way, the only way I see them sticking in this position in the standings is if it just continues to spiral and then whatever it is with McDavid, they just shut him down. That's the only way. Woof. Because we've heard he's not right. He's not going to come to the mic and talk about it. We know he had the injury and he's come back and it just seems like it honestly almost not to the severe extent, but it does kind of sound like what the Canucks went through with McKay of just like, yeah, we're going to play him Uh because we need to play him and then we'll deal with this when it comes, which is one man team. Yeah, they are. They're a one man team. Well, two. Okay. Ryan Nugent-Hopkins had 100 points last year. Zach Hyman also had 90. Well, I, a Mitch Marner 100 points, we'll, we'll call it. I can't remember if he actually got there or not. But they're not a one-man team. They have a ton of talented forwards. There are problems Granted, but with look this at the group. record without Connor McDavid. Look at what they've been able or unable to do without him this season and then without him at 100%. There are flaws, flaws, flaws up and down that roster. I'm not going to tell you otherwise, but to sit here and call them a one-man team, like look at those oh, physically look, other humans on the team I no it. but i mean like they're not just guys they are guys that sure. if you if you brought if you brought a nooch a hyman uh you know connor brown banged up for them this year i would have loved to have seen him on the leafs there are, there are a handful of forwards there they're a top heavy team i'm not going to sit here and tell you they're not that but there are to call them a one-man team i mean like dry saddle won an mvp big deal big deal okay yeah they they lost in the first round that year okay in the qualifying round. Yeah. Uh, all yeah, right. if Leon Dreisaitl is your best player, it's a very different conversation than if it's Connor McDavid. <laughs> but to call a guy where there's two guys on the team that have won hard trophies, a one-man team, and they had 400-point forwards last year, guess, probably like, not okay, a one-man team. No, they're, they're good at accumulating individual regular season statistics. Got to give them credit there. Uh, they can't beat the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, they're terrible this year. <laughs> I, like, I'm not defending no, what the Oilers are. Them. You're defending no, them. you're just taking such the other... You're taking it too far. I need to tether you back into reality. No calling them the angels. <laughs> this is exactly like when people go, eh, the Chiefs are pretty good. And I go, agreed. I think mm. the Chiefs are very good. They're the Patriots. Oh my God. Settle down people. They're like, our base to be the Patriots. Okay, cool. Talk to me when they well, get we there. Can't. We can't. We can't fast forward time. That's not how time works. No, it doesn't. But we also don't need to just assume the thing will happen. I'm like, oh, they're going to become the Patriots. No, no, no I, nobody assumes there. that. But yeah, I'd say they look patriot-y. Okay. A, little, a little patriot-esque. Anyways, well, we'll say we'll park the God. the Oilers conversation for later on. I didn't mean to get you so heated at six oh eight. Don't bring the up the Angels to me then. Like no <laughs> oh, one I didn't know the no, Angels was well, the thing. Yeah, that, how that, dare you make me think about of all things that baseball team at yeah. this time of day? We are supposed to be out of baseball season. It's no. freezing. I had to turn on the butt warmers in my car this morning. There was this ice the first in my time windshield. That you did that? No, but it's a, but I'm bringing it up because it adds to my point right now. <laughs> Don't you dare bring up bad baseball teams to me when I'm supposed to be laughing. At the misfortunes well, of the Oilers. 
You got gonna, me in a hot lather. I'm good gonna, morning. Good good morning to you. I'm going to bring up another bad baseball team later on this hour. Uh, that's it? the Blue Jays. Oh, okay. If it's the local one, <laughs> yeah. that's fine. We can talk about that. That uh, feels that feels pertinent. Let's talk about the local hockey team, though, which oh, is, a, is a bad... De- I love to yeah. do that. Okay. They're a bad defensive team for sure. Brad for Living facing his former team for the first time as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. Calgary Flames in town. Back-to-backs against the Flames and Canucks uh, before the Maple Leafs take off for Sweden both at Scotiabank Arena. Interesting time for the Leafs to be facing Bradtree Living's old team because, uh, one, you got Jonathan Uberdo, his his big uh, trade acquisition and then signing, you know, being... They looked into each other's eyes in Montreal. <laughs> being the right... Oh, get anything you want off the dessert cart. The rightful whipping boy in Calgary sitting out uh, some third periods. And then this Leafs team, by all accounts, I mean, you, you judge by what happened... During practice yesterday, yeah. at the very best, John Klingberg is going to be the seventh defenseman in a 7-11 and 11 situation. Mm-hmm. At worst, he's going to be a healthy scratch. And at worst, Ryan Reeves is also <laughs> going to be a healthy scratch. $6 million worth of cap hit going to be in the press box. And who can argue with it? Yeah, I mean, you you look at the way that that Klingberg has handled himself, and it's been it's been brutal. I mean, we all said it. The guy needs a blow. I think we should probably include the caveat that they were not su- they they were not a hundred percent confirming Jake McKay back. Yeah, that's, and, I mean, but if he's healthy, like well, yeah, know, they would die uh, to not have John Klingberg in the top six tonight. Of course they would. It's just. The way this season is going, wouldn't you expect Jake McCabe to just like, mm, you know what? Actually, not, yeah. not tonight, tomorrow. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Klingberg and Reeves are both in the lineup. And yep. it's like, oh, great. We're just doing this all over again. Although Holmberg's back. So maybe <laughs> maybe that changes things. The I'm, I'm a little surprised it's Reeves getting sat down as opposed to Klingberg, especially against a, and again, like we've done this all season long. But it's like, if you need Ryan Reeves against one of those teams, I feel like it's Calgary, not mm-hmm. Van- Vancouver. If that's the way you're going to do it, I do wonder if they're going to split it. I wonder if Reeves sits both of these games here. You needed to do something. You needed a different look. I don't know that playing John Klingberg four minutes a night on the second power play or whatever, and then trying to survive some semblance of five-on-five minutes with a partner he's not comfortable with. You know, they talk about protecting him. Mm. I understand they can obviously shelter him more if he's one of seven as opposed to one of six, but I never feel like guys are in a good flow of the game when there's the 7D. The partners are all are all screwed up, so I understand the idea, and I have no qualms with sitting Reeves, but the idea of making it easier on Klingberg by having him be this extra part I don't know that that's what gets them going. No, either. the protection is being hundreds of feet away right. from the ice. Beside us. Yes. Like up in an elevated gondola yes. with popcorn. Like yes. that is, well, that's, the, that's the protection that John Klingberg needs. And I, I want to give Sheldon Keefe credit. And this is obviously a, a collaborative decision of that course. they've come to. It's not like. It's what we talked to Trill Living <laughs> about when we had him on the show yeah, at the beginning of the year. Like Sheldon Keefe is sitting in an office looking across from. Roger Living looking into his eyes and saying, hey, man, your guys stink, and we're mm-hmm. pulling them out of the lineup. I think everybody understands what they're seeing on the edge. He's like, going, my guys stink. <laughs> That's the thing. That's why it's difficult for me to give these guys credit for what feels like a difficult decision. It's really the only decision to make yeah. in, in regards to Klingberg. As, as limited as the options are on the blue line, we've seen Lagason and Benoit. Fine. They're, they're – 
I, I, yeah, go for I, it. I know, do it. Cromulent. Yeah. <laughs> they have been cromulent. Um, what's hilarious to me, though, is that Jake McCabe is now perceived as Brian. the savior, yeah. <laughs> savior here, where I had maybe similar, if not equal, concerns about McCabe's game to John Klingberg when he was healthy early on in the season. He's, I, I, I think, capable of more mm-hmm. in his own zone than John Klingberg, but the idea that 40-year-old Mark Giordano and also left-handed Jake McCabe mm-hmm. are going to be some defensive pairing that you're super confident in in your own zone. I, I, I don't know if I buy that either. There are for sure concerns with McCabe. I would say the difference between where Klingberg is at and the concerns we've had with McCabe is that Klingberg just looked flat out lost out there. Like, I, there's no real way to sugarcoat it. It wasn't simple missing assignments or being late to a gap. Like, he just looked lost with Klingberg I think and you know as as he gets longer and longer in the tooth of not just his lease but NHL career we do have to stop expecting this to happen but the faults of his game do feel like something that in theory could be coached out the idea of, mm-hmm. hey, maybe not here. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the big mm-hmm. blow-up hit that hits one out <laughs> yeah, of every yeah. three times That's here. a great point and because John Klingberg, is, he's a finished product. Well, now, having said this, is, you don't <laughs> think people were telling Jake, uh, Jake McCabe this in Buffalo. You don't think Jake McCabe were telling sure. him this in Chicago. You don't think Sheldon Keefe has been telling it for him this for the better part of eight months now. You know, So I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to click, but you can see it. I would rather a player who is trying to make things happen that can be dialed back than a player who just seems to not have it right now. And that's the case with, with Klingberg. So that's where I'm at with the, with the difference between the two of them is there's concerns with McKay, but you should be able to coach him up. So there's a couple of different interesting scenarios off of this and you're not making grand sweeping proclamations after one game. Although I will say if, you know, no John Klingberg in the lineup tonight and the Leafs give up, one or two goals and and limited opposition mm-hmm. scoring chances against the Flames, it, it will feel like it was a one-player move that that resulted in in that result. So, okay, let's play out that scenario. Sure. It does work. Yeah. And you look like a, an entirely different hockey team in your own zone, and you're still able to create offense because, again, like mm-hmm. that's the other part of the Klingberg uh, uh, discussion is that he's only produced, what, five assists this, yep. this, this season and no goals mm-hmm. that he has not done at, at least the one thing that you could have hoped he could do. Yep. You could have expected this in his own end, but he hasn't really created the offense that you would have hoped from him. So say they look like a brand new team defensively tonight. Mm-hmm. Then what? Like, okay, so John Klingberg doesn't get in the lineup again tomorrow against the Canucks, and then John Klingberg, what, doesn't get into the lineup in the two games in Sweden, and then what? John Klingberg's... $5 million cap hit goes where? What? Well, what happens is, uh, this is mean to say, because again, they've been, uh, you know what? I'm not even going to go with Cromulent. Compared to expect- expectations, exceptional at times from Benoit and Legacy compared to what some people have expected. But here's what happens. You wait for one of those guys to have a bad game. And don't mm. worry. You, yeah. you wanna, If you're looking for it, if you're not sitting there next to the shining beacon of screw-ups that has been John Klingberg this season and he's not in the lineup, don't worry. You'll be able to find fault with one of those defensemen and get him back in and it's a reset and you see how it goes. I think that's the way you have to do it. They're, this team, they're not they're not putting them on waivers. They're not putting them mm. to the Marlies, at least not before this Sweden trip. There's no way he goes press box, gone, never seen from again. 
and might not even be press box tonight. Probably not going to even be press box tonight. So I think that's what you do is you just wait for one of the other defensemen on this team who, again, like it's a Klingberg problem. But if he's not there, we're pointing to plenty of other problems well, with this group. Yeah, Mark Giordano, 40 years old. He could take a blow at some point in time, and then you're going to say, okay, Klingberg gets in, and you have a reset, you see how it goes, and you go from there. The reset, I don't think anyone's expecting him to, oh, here's the guy, and he's snapping it around, and it looks great. That's not going to happen, I don't, I don't think. But if it is just fine, mm-hmm. treading water, he can be your 3D, then I think you do kind of try to exhale, catch your breath, if you can go with that. You if he comes bu- back in and it's not the case, then you do need to move on. You but. you need to build the point equity again in the standings yep. so that you have a runway here where you don't feel life and death to win a hockey game, which honestly, it, it feels that way. Leafs have lost five of their last six. Like yep. that's, that's not ideal. They're on the outside of the playoffs looking in just barely, right? It's not an Oilers situation. Um but it's hard to make up ground in the National Hockey League in 2023. All right, let's play out the other side of the equation. Then. Sure. They look the same. Yep. They, they, I mean, which is not outrageous to, to think about that possibility existing. Nope. Again, Jake McCabe, not Mr. Shutdown necessarily when he was healthy and playing early on this season. It's more than just the defensemen that have created a free-flowing offensive atmosphere for the opposition Say the Leafs look porous defensively and a bunch of goals are getting poured in even without John Klingberg factoring in to the equation. That's the more interesting scenario for me because there's no other bullets in your chamber here. Like there is, we're already maxing out what little AHL blue line depth you have. Uh, Timothy Lilligren ain't walking nope. through that door. Like then what? Yeah, Connor Timmins also isn't, and Connor Timmins isn't fixing anything. If you feel like Jake McCabe isn't fixing anything, you certainly don't feel like Connor Timmins is. I don't know what the fix is other than for this team to get coached up in the way that they have been in the past. Part of it is personnel, no doubt. But you remove Ryan Reeves from the lineup, and I don't want to make this a one-player problem, but if all of a sudden that fourth line is Camp, Gregor, and... Whoever deserves the shift at any point in time, be it a yarn crop. Well, the thing is, home uh, Holmberg is back with this team, right. and they're they're not. There's no extra defenseman too, but he did not skate yeah, on that I fourth don't... line yesterday. But that seems to me like an easy fix. Like sit both Reeves and Klingberg, put Holmberg in there into into but your why, fourth line. Why is Holmberg the guy that's getting called up? He is. He is the safest floor, I guess. It's if you want to go with like a true kind of like shutdown, neutered punt line, yeah. I suppose. But yes. why not Bobby McMahon? <laughs> you are a team that needs some physicality. If you're going to remove yeah. Ryan Reeves, you thought you had it. This is a guy who has, I don't want to overstate what he was, but he's looked fine. He had little moments of life for this Leaf team in the past. That's the guy I'd like to see up here. It's not that that guy's going to make or break the game one way or another, but clearly this is a guy who's motivated and not to say Holmberg isn't, but it's just, he's a, he's a more kind of, you know, head on his shoulders guy. Bobby McMahon might, might probably not, but might have the capacity to have a screw loose, to snap on a guy, to lose it a bit. And honestly, if you wanted Ryan Reeves on the team and you don't feel like you can or should dress him, why not have someone who gives you some semblance of that element? They just want punters. Like they, they need punts. They need punts out of the the 10 minutes that that fourth line is going to play right now. Yeah. But I think part of the problem, okay, this is a, this might be a tortured football analogy that I'm making live on air. So bear Mm. with me here but 
part of punting is like the field position battle. And if you're constantly just oh. punting, but it's like you're just getting to the neutral line and it is an, or the red zone and it is another wave coming back at you. It's like you don't want to be punting to set the team up on mm. the 50-yard line for them to have to do barely anything to get a field goal or in this case, a zone entry or something along that. You want your punt line to, it's not about generating chances, but get in the right end of the mm. ice and not just for, like this is my problem with a Holmberg camp Gregor. I like Gregor, but I don't know that he wins you a ton of puck battles in the offensive zone to keep things alive. Same with a David Camp. I actually think a guy like a Bobby McMahon can kind of get in on the forecheck. Mm-hmm. He have you a little bit of a different vibe. So there's not an issue with the punt line saying you need somebody who can do something there. It's not so much a do something offensively. It's just a do something in the right end of the, the ice. And that's kind of my concern with the true punt line is you're punting to the 50 instead of like trapping somebody at the two. Yeah, honestly, it, it, talking to the forwards feels like, yeah, it's a concern. And yeah, you got to figure out a way to not have Ryan Reeves get a, a minus in each and every game. But the, the the real concern is the blue line. And again, like what happens if there's no Klingberg tonight or he plays sparingly? He's the seventh mm-hmm. defenseman. He's like truly only deployed as a special teams defenseman, which I mean, that I, I can't imagine that's an easy spot to be in to, God, to no. play like yeah, single digit minutes, but only on the power play. I, I don't know whether that works, but say they look... Like the same team defensively. Like there is, there's no other, I, I don't know what, what you can do on the blue line as outside of a trade. And yeah, there's obviously some, some trades that make sense between this Leafs team and Brad for living's former yeah. team and the Calgary flames, but it's not trade season. The flames aren't going to punt on the season no. in, in November. Like no. trades aren't coming your way until the new year. It's November. Like what, what, what do you do? No, you, there are, I mean, people have pointed out like Minnesota kind of shook up their blue line a little, like they moved out Caden Addison. They brought in Zach Pogosian. That's not fixing anything. That's not changing anything. I think you need to be careful about big takeaways from tonight. Uh, This isn't the be all and end all stat, but Calgary Flames 25th in the NHL in goals per game at mm-hmm. 2.67. So maybe right we just, opponent. maybe we hold the judgment until Vancouver's here mm. tomorrow night in the back half of a back to back, because I think that's the, that is the other part of this that I think is going to be very interesting is it's ripe for a complete Jekyll and Hyde weekend from this team where they have the get right game and John Klingberg barely plays. And we have exactly this conversation. And then Saturday night, Elias Pettersson's walking around doing whatever, whatever he wants, just like that Canucks team has been doing all season long. Like, I think that's the part of this. We need to be very, very mindful of is no snap judgments out of, out of tonight's game. This weekend has to be taken as a complete snapshot because you're getting two completely opposite opponents. Well, the, the one takeaway we can have, and thank you for bringing up the offense, of ineptitude of the Calgary Flames early on this season is Joe Wall gets to start in tonight's game. Mm. Ilya Samsonov gets to start in tomorrow's game. So the Mike Babcock school of of goaltenders very much in effect that you try and get the victory. It's scary how often he was right with goalies. He was right about Kurt Mack. Yeah. He, was, he was right about this. Well, they're going to try and, I mean, you try and win every game and they're not punting tomorrow, let me tell you. But Pretty clearly, and the overall stats make it obvious, and also your your peepers make it obvious that Joe Wall is the guy that you have more faith in, despite the fact that he more recently had a bad game. Yes. But he also mo- most recently had a good game in relief of Samsonov on Monday against the Tampa Bay Lightning. He gets the start against the team 
that has less to offer offensively that is worse on well, the Karen first team, end of the, the back at least one goal, though, because Nazem Kadri will score tonight. That is so very true. And then it's uh, Samsonov getting the start tomorrow against the Canucks team that scores a million goals a game is really, really good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty – I think it is probably in even the team's mind, the gap between those two is maybe shrinking a bit, and that's not so much Samsonov doing anything. It's just Joe Wall maybe reminding them of he's a kid and mm-hmm. t- it takes some time to find who you who you are in this league. But, yeah, how can you not look at it as them setting up Wall for, for success? And he's been the better goalie this year. You know, I've been, I've been joking with you that I kind of look at it as match play. I, I feel like they're both one down now. They need to be <laughs> – hey, I, I know I, it's not – can't do no, that in but a match. It, but it doesn't it feel like that? It does feel like they both need one here to, to get back in the saddle. Who's dormy? There's, there's no dormying happening? Sheldon keeps winning and, and losing is all I, yeah. I know at this this decision. But, yeah, how can you not look at it as them clearly trusting Wall a little more? But I think it's even, even Keefe, who has been pretty, if you want to parse his comments at all, it's pretty clear that this isn't a 1A, 1B situation to him. He has a starter and he has a backup. But I think even he is maybe, I shouldn't say, faltering but mm. this will this game will be telling if Joe Wall looks like the guy we saw when we were there on Wednesday night then I think we're kind of back to a who knows situation here but if he ha- looks much more like the guy that's coming against Tampa or that or has been his general body of work with this club then I think we're back to having an exhale and guess what guys are allowed to have a, an off night he certainly had one Wednesday if you have back-to-back it's concerning and then we we take it from there but I I honestly I think that Joe Wall has every chance tonight to kind of just reset himself yeah and I expect that that was his worst game as a Toronto Maple Leaf yep. yet on uh what day is it Wednesday Wednesday. And it was just from the jump. He like the first again, the first or second shot of the game went directly through him. Yeah, it is a building narrative because even though he was great in an overall sense and relief in that lightning game, the goal he did allow yes. in the third period was also like. similar, right? Like it gets a shot from distance, gets through him and then stinky. And then the rebound dumped into the net. And then, you know, we I saw the same thing on Wednesday. This is the one and you know what? I hmm, there's probably numbers on this, uh, Mike Kelly. If you're out there, do something with this. But the the Leafs' defense struggling. What do we always say about goaltending? Well, we say a million things, but one of the things is you got to make the first save. Okay, mm-hmm. you're not completely taken off the hook on the second one, but if you make the first save, generally speaking, your defenseman should be able to box out. Your defenseman should be able to clear the rebound, do something, and. Just eye test wise, it feels like Wall has been a little less in control of his rebounds this year. It feels like they're just kind of jumping out more. Seems like pucks are kind of bouncing into the slot. That has been an issue with Samsonov in the past. And for a team that struggles defensively, even something like that, like just a goaltender struggling, not making the save, Mm. but controlling where the save goes. If you're, you know, throwing that thing into the corner, it's a much better place for a Simone Benoit or even a John Klingberg to go dig it out from than if it's popping into the slot or into a half-decent shooting area. Like, it's just something that kind of jumped to my mind because I bet I would bet rebound chances are up a healthy amount for this team from last year. Again, Mike Kelly, who is probably listening, I imagine. Of course. Yeah, dig that up. Um, Yeah, could be quite a narrative tomorrow if the Leafs look just as porous as they did on Wednesday and Joe Wall follows up his worst game as a Maple Leaf with something similar tonight and Ilya Samsonov has like an 860 save percentage and he's going tomorrow against a very good Canucks team. That'll be quite a, quite a story going into tomorrow's game. Well, in this part, this is this, like, this is just human nature. No one wants to hear this because every game should be the most important game of your life, yada, yada, yada. 
imagine what's going through those guys, not heads, just lives right now. Like Ben, you got a, you got a wife, you got kids, mm-hmm. you're bleeping off to Sweden for a week and a half. It's like, you got some stuff to do around yeah. the house. It's like, <laughs> you got to take care of this. You got to take mm-hmm. care of that. Okay. Is everything going on? And it's like, you know, the Leafs, obviously first class organizations, all we hear through and through help them out with that. But that part of it can't be overstated of they have this trip hanging over them. Mm-hmm. And that's that the just, goalies. I mean, so it's just no, no, no. not the goalies. Just I'm just, everybody. I'm saying everybody. It's like mm. Morgan Riley. He's got to oh, we're gonna put the dog. Like it's all, honestly, you're leaving. You're leaving for. They're not going to. They're not going to Chicago, Detroit, and Philly. They're going to Stockholm for a week. I don't know. Maybe it's just my own sensibilities. I'd be in. I'd be. I would have my mind spinning heading into I, this week. I struggle with this, right? Because yeah, I mean, we, we've heard this in pro sports about how the the travel, trying to limit the travel and the back to back. No, but it's and, not the travel. It's the it's the trip. Like it's the. Dip- Distance. It's the it's time. Not the moon, man. Like it it's five hour flight. Like how much different is. is it going to Sweden than it is to California? An way, hour? Way different. Or no. the NHL wouldn't make them go there. I'm not talking no. time. I'm talking you're out of your comfort zone. You're gonna <laughs> these guys are gonna be these guys are gonna be dragged through the cities like they're like circus exhibits. Come look. When at do they Nylander. actually arrive? Because the game is not until next weekend. Yeah. I would. I, I, I don't imagine they're flying out on Monday or something. I would bet they're getting there. You think the NHL wants them to come in there for three days, play a game, and leave? I guarantee they're going to have a practice in Gothenburg, and they're going to yeah. go do all this stuff, and Willie Nylander's going to have the fellas go. They're, they're not going there for three days and coming home. I would imagine it's a pretty lengthy trip. I We need to maybe verify exactly when they're leaving. But, yeah, I, I okay. I, I guess it's going to be horrible. To, you could just tell. Yeah, look, feel free to tell me. This is just my own sensibilities as a guy who never likes to leave his house, and I'm thinking about this way too I much. Like, it, just like, say that, please. The, the millionaire think? athletes flying first class, private not, across the pond for five hours, staying not, in a five star hotel for a couple of days. You know, separated from all the concerns of domestic life. God. Like that's a tough sell for me. That oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is okay. So this is just my own sensibilities. The guy who never wants to leave his house. <laughs> yeah. That's okay, exactly that's fine. Right. That's, that's uh, and I'm telling. I told you, if that's the case, just tell me. I never want to leave my house. I'm so excited to go home. <laughs> <laughs> that may be in reference to me yelling at you a couple of times already. Thirty minutes of the show. This is true. All right. When we come back. Uh, there is baseball to talk about. Thank God. Kevin Gossman, he uh, gave us some insight into what exactly went down with Alec Manoa this past season on uh, foul territory with Eric Kratz. We'll play you the clip from that. Also, there was some interesting nuggets at the end of uh, Shai Davidi's most recent piece, including a little indication about potentially Vladimir Guerrero Jr. being a factor at third base this upcoming season. That and more next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sportsnet 5.9, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Mentioned it yesterday, the Major League Baseball GM meetings wrapping up early because everybody was in the bathroom. <laughs> they had uh, a virus. A GI bug. Yeah, more than 10% of the attendees had a virus. Uh, but I guess they continued it virtually, kind of. Like, 
The way I understand it through Shai Davidi's incredible reporting on Sportsnet.ca is there were email questions sent out to Ross Atkins, and then he responded to those email questions, which honestly— I was going to say they're like— we're doing that all the yeah, time. Yeah, can now. we? No more talking <laughs> for him. It's going to be like the old like Simmons Gladwell back and forth with uh, with Atkins for it's like. And as I consider this question, it'll be a ten thousand word answer every time. Yeah. Yeah, that that seems like it might work for him. Anyways, yeah, it's definitely we'll, way better for him. We'll way get, worse for us. But. We'll get to one of the nuggets uh, from that back and forth between the. Toronto baseball reporters and the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. But the most notable Blue Jays thing to come out of yesterday Mm -hmm. was Kevin Gosman, who's a finalist for the American League Cy Young Award. He's not going to win. He's a chill dude as well. But but yeah, not going to win. He's not going to win. Garrett Cole is rightly going to win. And Garrett Cole should have a Cy Young Award. Will he accept it wearing a Boris Corp hat? That would be great because he's actually now employed by the New York Yankees. Last time he wore it, he was actually technically a free agent at the conclusion of Game 7 of the World Series. But um, Kevin Gossman, again, is in contention to win an American League Cy Young Award. Uh, He was a top 10 finisher a season. He's honestly, like there's an argument to be made made that Kevin Gossman uh, turning his career into what it was and and wrapping up outside of uh, Toronto with the San Francisco Giants. He's had his best two seasons since signing the multi-year contract and free agency with the Toronto Blue Jays. Anyways, he's been great. He's been yeah. everything the Jays could have expected him to be and more. It's also a great interview, a great talker. Love to talk to him at some point. Um, and I have before, but I'd, like, I'd love to talk to him this offseason. Uh, he was on Foul Territory, the podcast hosted by Eric Kratz yesterday, and he was asked about Hey, Alec Manoa, like, was there a pitch clock thing happening there? What exactly went down with Alec Manoa? He gave us some insight. Um, I think he got off to a a late start physically in spring. You know, his shoulder just wasn't, you know, listen, the guy pitched almost 200 Indians in his first full year as a starting pitcher. Um, You know, I've, I've only got that close one time in my career. And so, I think when you're a 24, 25-year-old guy, you don't necessarily know the impact that, that that's going to take on your body. And, um, you know, I just think he, he came in and, and you know, maybe tried to push it and, you know, get ready for opening day a little too early. And I think he just kind of never got to a good spot with, with his arm and with his mechanics. Um, and and you could tell that, um, you know, and it was unfortunate to, to watch because, yeah, I mean, that's the crazy thing about baseball is if this was this year and he put up those numbers, like he's running away with the Cy Young. He's winning it easily. If, yeah, he puts up his 2-2-4 ERA that he had in 2022 um, with 180 strikeouts, 196 and two-thirds innings where he finished third in the Cy Young Award uh, race, yeah, he, he'd be right there amongst the the leaders in the Cy Young Award race in 2023 instead in 19 starts he had an era almost six five eight seven so that's worse it's much worse that's interesting that alec manoa was not treated the way he should have been treated potentially potentially according to kevin gossman like sounds like to me if you take kevin gossman's word as gospel here as gosman if you will alec manoa was not physically ready to start the season. His ramp up was too quick, especially coming off a career high in innings the season previous. 
And it was a cascading effect that he was eventually never able to overcome. And you know what? There's actually fuel to this fire. Mm -hmm. When you look at how this organization has dealt with injuries in, I'm sure, giving the player all the... All the um, latitude, all the tools mm. and the lat- too much latitude is what mm. I'm going to get to. They've given them all the tools, all the information, all the resources to address injury situations. But it does feel like they quite often lean towards the player getting ultimate decision making power, which is OK. It's one thing when you're George Springer signing a huge free agent deal right. with this organization and you say you can play through it when clearly, like, you can't make it down the first base line. Right. But that happened. Mm-hmm. This is the organization that everybody with their own eyes were like, that doesn't feel like that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. This guy is is going to eventually have his hamstrings explode. Yep. And guess what happened? His hamstrings exploded, and he spent a month on the IL. Mm-hmm. If that's what happened with Alec Manoa, feels like there's a, a building... Narrative surrounding the way the Blue Jays handle injuries in that they let the player decide more often than not. I guarantee you, Alec Manoa is like, I'm ready to go. Of course. Put me in there. Why wouldn't you say that? Just just listen to any word that's ever come out of his mouth. And it, it basically can be translated to give me the rock. I'm ready to go right now. That's the type of guy he is. That's why you love him as a pitcher. And maybe this is way too, maybe this line doesn't make sense to draw, but you know, for a team that all last off season, they made changes for, you know, on field reasons, but a big part of it as well was like a more serious culture. Shouldn't maybe, is there something to it that it stems from like, we're going to put this on you. We're going to allow you guys to make decisions. It's like, no, the decisions some places need to come from the top. And I understand maybe some decisions coming from the top. People don't like looking at you. You say Kikuchi coming into the ball game, but they do need to have more, they need need to have a hard and fast. I shouldn't say a hard and fast plan because I'm sure there's a million different plans that they went through. But the player should not be the one to get to decide. To your point about Springer, always going to want to play. To a point about Manoa, the idea that you would not have, and maybe kid gloves is too strong a term given that he had shown he could handle a big bulk of innings. But, you know, g- go through the line. There are maybe two players in this organization right now that are more important to the future of it than Alec Manoa. Yeah, he and, can be the guy who was right. Uh, Two seasons ago. It might not be two, honestly. It might be one or none. If he is going to be a front-of-the-line Cy Young guy to allow him to have a season that spiraled in that regard. Now, you know, the team takes some blame for that from the start. There's clearly some to go to Manoa as well as things, you know, ventured on with the... No, I'm talking about the way he seemed to have responded to to the adversity. Yeah, but you... This is honestly fuel... If you want to... If you want to have some Alec Manoa defense, sure. this is this is helpful to you. That the team didn't protect him from himself, basically. Yeah, and that he might, you know, so part of the the narrative surrounding him, and I, I, I've heard similar things from people who would know better than me, yeah, yeah. is that Alec Manoa is like, I'm injured. Put me on the IL. Don't put me, hear don't that. send me down to the minor leagues because one, like, service time. Yeah, service time. And like I get a major league paycheck, which yeah. is not nothing as well. This it's a would, lot of something. I mean, if, if, if part of the reason we saw a very diminished version of a guy who was one of the best pitchers in baseball the two years prior was because of an injury that was handled incorrectly by the organization. I buy that. Also, let me take you back to the beginning of the season yeah, please. and the end of spring training. Okay. Uh, you say Kikuchi was supposed to be battling with Mitch white for the fifth starter spot. Mm-hmm. Mitch white one was not healthy. Mitch white was also horrific. He bad. And then 
when there was discussion about Alec Manoa being removed from the rotation, the big question mark was like, who the hell is going to take his spot? There is nobody. This was before Hunjin Ryu obviously returned from yeah, yeah. Tommy John surgery. And Bowden Francis did not start the, the season. Yeah. He didn't start the season healthy, right? Like he was good when he started pitching in Buffalo. There was literally Nothing. nobody. So you can understand why the Blue Jays might have felt a little bit of an impetus mm -hmm. to perhaps accelerate. Come on, not with that guy, though. Like, I, I, under, I agree I, with you. I, I agree understand with what you, you're saying, but, but you can you can you can have that conversation with you say Kikuchi if you feel like you're testing the or you know if you're chumming the waters for potential injuries there. And I don't think they should be doing that with anybody. But this is the if if Alec Manoa doesn't exist, and mm. look, they paid Jose Barrios. Kevin Gosman's great, but where is it coming? Like, we all know, Tiedemann and everything, but it's like for the foreseeable future, like squint and see three years down the line or whatever, it's like it's him and Barrios, and that's yep. kind of it for what's here right now. So I'm not saying that, but I just have to, like, get that off my chest. It's like you cannot do that with him of trying to put yourself in a better spot for a month. Matt Chapman saved you that month. He won everything for you in April. Like, it is nuts to think you do it with that guy. It. Feels like they might have done it with oh, that guy. Oh, for sure it does. And yeah, you want to talk about being saved by the offense in April. It's crazy. That did happen. Like game one <laughs> of the don't. season. Uh, Alec Manoa was rancid yes. in St. Louis. Yeah. They won the baseball game. But yeah, no, that it was a very strange April for a myriad of different reasons. I'm just saying, it does feel like we're getting word for the first time out of somebody who was there has first-hand account yep. i'm sure has a pretty good relationship you think with the the guy that he viewed as the the top of the rotation those two as a one-two punch was mm -hmm. part of the reason why you thought maybe the blue jays had a world series for opportunity sure. those guys were pretty joined at the hip that he is getting this information firsthand well it sounds bad is I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with this it sounds really bad and once again more information for you to look with a bit of a side eyebrow yeah. at the organization, the way they've handled not just the analytics and the mm -hmm. messaging of that to the, the players, but also, like, I, I, this is not the first time, again, go back to the way George Springer's injury yep. was handled in the first season. He was a Toronto Blue Jay. That this team maybe lets the players dictate their injury return timeline a little too much. Yeah, and you know who else would know that? Kevin Gosman, the guy who missed a start, and we were all kind of wondering what was going on there around the, the All-Star break. So, mm -hmm. yeah, he would have first-hand knowledge of that from his own dealings with that team. So, yeah, good job by you bringing that up. Uh, thanks, buddy. How about this? Also from the Shy Davidi piece on Sportsnet.ca, as far as Vlad taking ground balls at third base during the season and continuing to take ground balls as he... <laughs> Works out in Florida. <laughs> he likes to take ground balls at third, and there isn't much downside to that should the need arise. That from Ross Atkins in his email response. So Vlad is the everyday third baseman. Is Obviously, it's like a non-starter. Despite the fact that actually he wasn't... Man, I, I remember the eye test wasn't great for him in 2019 when well, he played over 800 innings at third base. But he was only minus three defensive runs saved. He was pretty close to league average. I was going to say E5, Edwin Encarnacion burned in a, a lot of people's yeah. brains there as well. And he's got a great arm. He does. Like, Cannon, that is undeniable. The problem is the range, you think? obviously. You but think? it's also like not in errors. It's just balls that he's unable to get to. But I will say... Like if they are looking at a Reese Hoskins for like a, a season and then also a Joey Votto, which is really gumming up the works. Make the whole team out of DHs. Yeah, and I 
be quite a departure for the pitching and defense team. The the way Ben Nicholson Smith was writing about Reese Hoskins, which I understand considering he's coming off a massive knee injury, is that he's a pure DH guy. I mean, if you are going to have Reese Hoskins, and I don't, I don't think either guy's playing much first base, and I don't think Joey Votto really played an inning at first base a season ago with the Reds. But like if Hoskins, you can trot out at first base once a week and that means like Vlad at third but like you can have Vlad at third Hoskins at first and Joey Votto this is so DH. unfair I'm just picturing Reese Hoskins, <laughs> Hoskins sitting in a chair beside first base the way we're talking about it like yeah if you can put him out there just pray they don't hit it to him uh, yeah I, I I don't think it's something that's like it, it plan a of course but yeah hey could, Vlad, could, look Vlad should be taking ground balls at third. Like as long as it doesn't change what he thinks of himself as the player of getting it in his head of I'm a third baseman or anything like that. You want your players to have utility. A third baseman should be able to play first. And I'm not saying it should go the other way, but if you have a guy that can give you utility at more than one spot, why wouldn't you want it? If you have to move things around and get a bat in late in the game, all of that, it is, it well, is only a good thing to have. And here's the thing. Blue Jays are not going to be as good defensively at that position. Like, they've they've decided. True. It will going, be a downgrade. In going away from Matt Chapman, as much as I think his defense was diminishing over the years, and part of that might have been the finger injury, yada, 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 yada. Whatever they get, like Jimer Candelario, like, that's a guy that you're that's just worse, looking. Yeah, yeah he's, he's fine. I was looking at High the High level of promulence. Yeah, it's like a pretty, guess what? It's like a better version, but it's like he doesn't have a lot of range and has a big arm too. Yeah, he can do the job. It's not going to look like Matt Chapman. So the bar defensively at that position is going to be lower. And can Vlad do a reasonable impression of a third baseman a, a once, to, a, once a week, a couple times a week, a couple times a month? I, I think it's it's very, very possible. Um, Raptors in Boston tomorrow night, their biggest game of the season as they wrap up this road trip. Uh, this is a team that I've done a, not a total 180 on, but like they're now super intriguing to me and mm-hmm. they look like they're figuring it out offensively. And you know what? Scotty Barnes emerging as the superstar of this team, but that Pascal Siakam can still have a game like he had mm-hmm. in Dallas Boston's a top five defensive team. They're a team that just came off a pretty significant loss to a Sixers team that they expect to be battling tooth and nail with in the Eastern Conference. They're going to be a motivated bunch. You win that game on the road. You go into Dallas, hand the Mavericks their first home loss of the season, and then go into Boston and beat the Celtics, who are the favorites in the Eastern Conference. Now you got a building narrative. Now, like the entire expectation of this 82 game season is entirely different. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not fair to look at it this way, but if you want to put another log on the fire, you can mention that they beat the Timberwolves to start the season. Although that game feels like it was played on the moon 3000 years yeah, ago. The that Timberwolves game, have been much better. No, that's what I mean. Like that game just feels so disconnected from the entirety of the season as a whole. You know, at first blush, I was curious to see, or I, I my thought of this game was I was curious to see how the Raptors kind of stacked up defensively with just Brown and Tatum and what they're capable of. And Porzingis has been pretty good this year as well, but it's more how they can handle the Celtics defense. Scotty, I mean, Pascal Siakam, he's been through the rigmarole a thousand times of being a first or second option on a team and playing strong defensive teams. But Scotty Barnes, this version of himself as a distributor, as a passer, as a, or maybe the better way to put it is a find whatever the game needs for him that game. I mean, look at that Mavericks game, right? He 14 boards, he led the team and on a night where his offense wasn't going. So it, it's, 
a lot like it is for me every game this season, especially when there's a real kind of narrative to take out of it or a test to look at is how does Scotty Barnes handle it? How does he kind of check that box? Because yeah, they're going to be focused on Siakam rightfully so, but the either first or second option for this Raptors team is Barnes. I'm really curious to see how, how he handles a really, really stout defensive Celtics group. Yep, they've been stout defensively. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks have not been very stout defensively. They lost again Giannis yesterday. said, what, 52, 54 he in the loss? He was 54 points on 19 of 25 shooting, but got to the line 18 times <sighs> yesterday with, with 12 rebounds. Didn't get the ball enough. I was watching the end of that mm-hmm. basketball game. He didn't get the ball enough uh, with the, the result hanging in, uh, in the balance. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, you know... It hasn't looked as obviously uh, as intimidating as you thought it it might look. Uh, and Dame Lillard didn't play in that game. But yeah, defensively, the, the Bucs have some issues. And uh, Adrian Griffin, former Raptors assistant coach, the head coach there, he was tossed uh, in that game. But yeah, nice. a huge game for the Raptors in Boston tomorrow night, wrapping up the road trip. You beat the Celtics. Boy, um, I, I think I will bend the knee on Monday's show to Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri as far as banking on the vibes. You know what? I'll tell you what. They win the game against the Celtics. I won't wait till 42 wins this season. I'll stop calling him Coach Darko. Okay, uh, that, that's great. That's, and that's a, high, that's a lot that's on a the big, line. And just quickly on Giannis, it's eighth 50-point game in his career last night. That's one less than Kevin Durant and two less than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had. Like, different player, different time, whatever. But it's just sometimes with guys like that, you do just have to see a stat like that and go, oh, like, all-time special, not yep. just now. Truly yep. incredible. Yeah, he is a freak. All right, when we come back, Maple Leafs have the Calgary Flames in town back-to-back against Western Canadian opponents at home. And we'll talk to Charles Davis, the NFL on CBS and NFL Network, getting you set for week 10 of the NFL seasons. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.